What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of Behind the Daw. Now, if you're new to the podcast, this is a show where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, sound designers, literally everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. This is also a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. You know, we've had people like Kashmir, Modestep, AU5, Said the Sky, Quicks, Tynan, Culprit, a whole bunch of other people. And so if you're interested in seeing those guys break down some of their most famous songs, you can head on over to the Daw Nation YouTube channel. You can also listen to those episodes over here on the Behind the Daw podcast. Those are the .5 episodes. So the last episode that was released was episode 64.5 with AU5. He broke down his song Swordfish, which by the way is unreleased, which is a pretty cool, say an unreleased breakdown of a song. If you're more interested in listening than watching, you're in the right place. But if you're more interested in watching than listening, head on over to the Daw Nation YouTube channel. So with all that out of the way, who are we interviewing this week? Well, we are going to interview, really quick, side note, this is the first time I've recorded an episode with Ben in the room. Ben, say what's up. What's up? We also have my dog in my lap. We named her Excision. There's a story for another time. Anyways, this week we were having Xylent on the episode. Okay, so this is a very highly anticipated episode that we've been waiting to put out for a while. It, it is literally jam-packed with so much wisdom. It's actually kind of just mind-boggling how much we could pack in like a 30-40 minute episode. Okay, so what is the main topic that you're going to be learning today? The main topic focuses around creating a story inside of your songs, inside your EPs, inside of your albums, and why this is so important. This is something that is highly looked over in the industry and like kind of in art in general. Stories are so beneficial to learning, to, to growing, to finding yourself. So humans are very, 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 very bad at just taking in pure information, but they are extremely good at taking in stories, right? How many times have you been watching a terrible movie and you kind of, you're kind of forcing yourself till, till the end to watch it till the end just to find out what the, what the conclusion of the story is, right? So we're going to be talking a lot of tips, tricks, you know, ideologies, philosophies about bringing stories into your music, okay? So that is going to be the main topic of this episode. It's really good. And, and if there's anything in this episode that really, really resonates with you, feel free to tag us over on the Daw Nation uh, Instagram page that is at in the Daw behind the Daw. Ben over there is going to probably see the message before I do, and he'll he'll treat you really good. If it's a really sincere episode, he'll put it in the flagged folder, and I'll give you a personal response. I promise. Is that right, Ben? That is correct. He said that's correct. All right, that is fantastic. So, with that out of the way, Dawn Nation, let's go ahead and hop in. Oh, no, no, hold on, hold on. We got one more thing. Just wanted to let you know that this episode of Behind the Dot is sponsored by the School Base, which is the sound design course that AU5 and Dawn Nation did. So, if, if you're interested in that, we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. You know, we'll get through all of the good stuff first, and we'll talk about that at the end. So, with all that out of the way, Dawn Nation, let's go Behind the Dot with Xylent. <laughs> everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. We have Xylent. Xylent, say what's up to Daw Nation and tell us something extremely embarrassing about yourself. Hey, what's up Daw Nation? The most embarrassing thing what I can think of is something that's probably going to happen throughout this interview and <laughs> it's just a bunch of voice cracks here and there. You might have noticed one uh, already for the past 10 seconds. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see throughout <laughs> this interview, but that's probably the most embarrassing thing, especially for someone who's trying to be in audio and his biggest dream has been voice acting ever since I can remember. So yeah, voice cracks 
cracks definitely don't help. So that's pretty embarrassing whenever that happens. What's causing the voice cracking, man? I don't know. Like I did go through puberty. Uh, something's... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We have so something. much in common. Although it's it's comforting when you actually meet or listen to someone in the same like sphere. There's a bunch of other producers. I'm not going to point fingers, obviously, because I, I don't want them to feel embarrassed. But I've heard them voice crack like crazy before. So I don't feel that alone anymore. I actually, it's not like a lack of... <laughs> it's not a lack of puberty. It's not a lack of testosterone. It's not a lack of anything like that. On a scientific basis, it's, it just has to do with the vocal cords and how they developed and over time. And I can almost guarantee when you hit your 40s, 50s area, it's, it's actually going to fix itself. It's going to be, yeah. Nice. So yeah. So Can't just, wait. Yeah, just <laughs> Dude, I'm stoked to get into this interview, man. I have a lot of good questions and a lot of them are focused actually around your album because on a bunch of episodes of Behind the Dot, I've talked about this specific concept, which is creating a world, creating a story inside of your album or inside of your work, inside of your brand, inside, you know, whether that's just a song or an EP or an album or multiple EPs, multiple albums, all that kind of stuff. And you freaking nailed it on the head. I actually could fall into the world. Like, for example, you're pretty big into video games, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. What's what's the the best last video game that you played? Probably going to be Ruiner by Devolver Digital. I believe they made it. Oh, maybe someone else made it, but Ruiner. Can we agree that the reason why those video games that you enjoyed, it's because it created a world, created a story that you could fall into and really like in, immerse yourself in. Can we agree on that? Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I can actually even say that the Talos Principle game definitely influenced a lot of the aspects of this album. So that right there, that's absolutely beautiful. And that's what I'm looking for, because I think you and I can agree that in general, as the current electronic music trend state, whatever you want to say, is that it's just one-off bangers. It's just one-off singles. It's just, you know, if you do make an album, it's just a bunch of relatively similar songs put together, but there's no coherency. There's no story behind it. Can we agree with that? Yes. And I have to add that a lot of this story-driven stuff, a lot of what actually pushes it is basically just physically connecting the songs together like I did on both of the albums, We Are Virtual and We Are Dust. However, that's not all of it. You know, you might have tracks that sound completely different and feel like they're made in completely different time zones and, and states of mind and by completely two separate pairs of hands or more. And it's not just going to be enough if you just connect them together through like a pad ending at the end of track number one and at the same pad begins track number two because those two tracks are completely in two different worlds. So it's not about just the physical sort of connecting those literally connecting those tracks with sound but it's also about having a theme sprinkled throughout this entire album that kind of builds up into like a story or into an interpretation of a certain story or multiple interpretations that you might want to just re-listen to the album to be able to catch more details about it and possibly even notice things they haven't noticed before beautiful and that's exactly what I'm looking for. And I'd highly encourage anyone that is listening to do that, that exact thing. It is mind boggling to me that what we're talking about right now isn't the norm. It's mind boggling to me. If you look at any other art in the entire world, what is it centered around? It's centered around the story, right? Can we agree with that? Exactly. True. It's centered around the story. We crave a story. It's a human biological need for a story. But for some reason, in this little niche of electronic music that we're in, that is not the norm. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, what? Like, <laughs> how did this happen? Do you have any ideas of yeah. how we came to this point of how we're just one-off single bangers instead of telling a story? So what you might notice if you look from a bigger distance at the EDM scene these days is basically people want to achieve success as quickly as possible. So making a concept album 
that people really have to spend a lot of time on to listen and to get into is definitely more difficult and way more taxing in every way. I mean, time-wise, you know, stress, tedious bits of fixing here and there, mixing, mastering, compared to making just a hit single with a funny cow sound right before the drop, that will make you huge. People just prefer to make singles because they know that those get way more exposure and way more success quickly. In the, in the dubstep spectrum, it gets, uh, it kind of turns from singles to EPs rather. And that's a lot of what bass music is about today. And I noticed that making, making an EP is obviously a little bit of an effort, but it's something between making an album and a single. But those four tracks on each EP are usually also set to be just singles by themselves if they're released they wouldn't be released separately from an ep but each one of them is definitely a banger and i've never noticed an ep that has tracks connect apart from maybe last ep by protostar and i can't off the top of my head i can't remember someone else doing it on a, on a short ep like a three four track ep because those if you connect tracks physically with a specific sound or a pad or some sort of drone in the background you kind of want that connection to keep going for you know six eight ten tracks or, or more so just connecting it for like a short little experience of 12 to 15 minutes is not really worth doing that so i think people just come to that conclusion that okay i'm just gonna put these three or four or five tracks together just because i think those are the good tracks that i selected out of the 15 or 20 tracks that i made and i'm just gonna put them on this ep i'm gonna call it this and don't necessarily have any of these tracks to do it with each other and yeah just uh, you know go on with your day so i have a feeling that people just want to grab a quick buck as quick as possible and definitely singles and short little spurts of releases are, are the way to do it i think you hit on so many points that i want to touch on and i'm, I'm gathering my thoughts about this so to add on to what you were saying when it comes to that when they create the eps right and you're right the songs inside of it don't really tie together very much other than genre specific songs and you're right it's it helps them kind of get more exposure more quickly they want to get famous more like faster and stuff like that but the problem with that is the problem with doing that strategy is that when you do that strategy it's like pouring gasoline on a fire yeah you're gonna see this huge flame up and coming but it's gonna die out quickly the way that you're doing it is much more sustainable it's much more fulfilling much more hefty much more weighty in content it's much more satisfying i guess you could say you know what i mean i actually have an example to actually back this up right are you a big marvel fan to be honest i this is going to probably disappoint a lot of people but i'm really not like the only marvel thing that i really like is the daredevil series which was on that really got me into Marvel partially just because of that. I only started watching the Punisher and I just kind of drifted off at that point. But yeah, that's okay. And that's totally fine. I'm not saying that you have to have it, but what we can do is learn from them because they were the first movie ever. Well, actually they were the first company ever just recently with when they released Avengers Endgame to make over a billion dollars in the box office in three days. When we see something like that, we as artists, we need to look at that and be like, why? Why did that happen? We need to be able to look at that and be like, oh my gosh, like they did something right. They did something. It's the world yep, built yep. around it. Exactly. It's the freaking story. But if they would have applied, if Marvel would have applied the EP situation, right, that we're talking about where it's an EP and it's just a bunch of songs, they don't really come together and they kind of 
just live in the same space, but they don't really live together. You know what I mean? That'd be the equivalent of them creating this movie. And this movie kind of stands on its own. And then that movie kind of stands on its own. And that movie kind of stands on its own. They never come together. But the reason why it came together is they did, they interlocked everything. They created a story. They interlocked everything over a spread amount of time. And they slow burned it. You know what I mean? They slow burned it. And that, that's what I think you're doing. That's what I think you are doing with these last two albums that you had. You created a world in, in your first album. And now in this album, album right here is kind of transcended from that last album you're telling a story can it can we agree with that is this making sense that is true the first album definitely tells definitely sets itself it's kind of just like it scratches the surface of this little universe it's something that I always had in my head and I bet a lot of us also had a, that in our heads ever since we watched The Matrix or Terminator or even just what's that what's that Jim Carrey movie <laughs> Truman Show for uh, when I was a kid I, I used to think that I don't know it might be super weird to say this but when I was like super young I I've, you know obviously had these spurts of like oh what if everything is a Truman Show and what if you're just this little speck that everybody keeps watching every day and obviously it's, it was a stupid stupid thought but this album definitely scratches the surface of what if we're not real this is like a concept that was introduced early in the 80s or 90s but now it got brought back to attention by nick bostrom who's like a swedish philosopher he came up with this paper oxford university which kind of suggests that if humanity was able to create computers up to this point and if there are multiple humanities in the universe or different sorts of entities that are able to create technology just like we are and progress just like we are you know how 25 30 years ago we wouldn't even think of a tv with colors and now it's all like you know flat screen wallpaper tvs the thickness of like a half a pencil so when we're thinking about the current, pro like right now, we're thinking we're at the top of our evolution when it comes to technology, but obviously we haven't even scratched the surface and what could happen in the next hundreds of thousands of years if we don't kill each other by then. That's the concept that those are the people who are able to create simulations and little programs that are so sophisticated that they create consciousness inside them. So you might be one of those consciousnesses. And that just kind of scratches the surface. What if you're just a part of that little simulation built by someone other? So basically a post-human, which is what Nick Bostrom calls them. And this is this is basically just like a loose concept that the album is based on. And the next one, We Are Dust, the most recent album, touches on it deeper. It kind of shows the city that was featured in the, in the first album's cover. It shows it, you know, tens or tens of or dozens of thousands of years later it shows it completely destroyed by humanity or whoever came in and destroyed it it kind of takes you on a little adventure while you listen through the 11 tracks and just kind of try to make ends meet of what is being said over there so as far as like creating this universe creating this story how long did it take you to do this what is it an extreme amount of conscious effort to create this world and to create this story it was bits and pieces here and there i would come back to it and i would just come up with like a little closing concept it didn't really take that much time it's something that i just thought of i think 2013 was when i first came up with it and i just always struggled to find a proper label and proper place to actually release the album some of the pieces of proof that might show you that i've been working on this and putting bits and pieces of it together is just little hidden secrets that i hide in in the cover art for we are virtual which is the album the first album and I always knew that I'm going to do something with it. So there was a callback for it and We Are Dust a month ago. But the concept itself has basically always been in my head. So it's not something that I just had to come up with because I've always been kind of just thinking that this is basically how it is. I'm not a really religious person or anything, but if there's 
any reason or if there's like the quickest explanation that I can relate to is, is probably the fact that we are a part of a giant computer. And I've always had this idea engraved in my mind ever since I can remember. So it's difficult for me to stray away from it and not make something that would have something to do with it. C conceptualizing we are virtual and we are dust was super easy. As far as getting into like the, the nitty gritty details of the album and all that kind of stuff, what information do you have about that album, the story, the concept, all that kind of stuff that you have that you're just dying to give us, man? Because we want to know. We want to know everything about this <laughs> album. So there are multiple interpretations of the album, obviously, just like there are multiple interpretations of every cryptic piece of art out there. It's a loosely based concept that's more in depth now with We Are Dust, but I engraved a couple of different ideas into it. And there are certain passages in the album that you hear people say that refer to a bunch of things outside of the album. You know, for instance, starting with From Dust, you hear someone's voice and it's the same voice that later appears in a video that I posted on social networks later that announces the ARG, Are We Dust? And he talks about a corporation that basically tries to figure out how this world is possible. And there's a thing called quantum mechanic simulation that the corporation is calling it. So throughout the album you hear in dubstep, I mean, it's throughout the dubstep tracks and multiple EDM genres on the album, you hear a little thin layer of a story that can be interpreted in many different ways. One of which is obviously the simulation theory. But when you hear the end of the album, there's the same person's voice talking, it seems like he's talking to someone. And at that point, it's either we could go either the post-human way, which means we are a simulation, or he's basically just talking to God and turning into particles, just like you are from dust to dust. Not a very religious person, but this is one way, another way to interpret it. So there's three different interpretations. And, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to obviously give, give away too much. We're, we're still talking about an EDM album here. It's not, <laughs> it's nothing else outside of that, really. It's just a, just a story built around it. How you, how you kind of left the interpretation of the album ambiguous and how you, you want to leave it ambiguous. I think that kind of, I kind of swamps some of the questions I have, which is just fine. That's not, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's how you want to keep it. That's how you want to keep it. But a lot of the questions that I have now, now that we're kind of stepping away from what the meaning of the album is, is that I, I, me just like as, you know, like a business person, as a marker, I want to know what you did to push this and what we can do to, to get it out to more people that are going to love it. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, we could, we could go this route for sure. I don't know much about like marketing, but I can give some, some ideas for sure. Yeah. So this was made possible by the fact that a couple of years ago, since I released my first album on a label called Audipon Records, this is something, this is a label that was signed to ever since 2010 or 11, I believe. It was a drum bass label based in UK. My manager used to be the CEO of Audipon as well, and I have a different management now, but he got me in touch with a lot of people. He made certain things possible for me. His name is Shimon. He basically made me move to England, which made a lot of the connections also way more possible. You know, if, if you're starting a musical career and you're just trying to basically get into a certain, I don't know, genre space, for instance, drum bass, then for instance, UK would be great for you for sure. Western Europe as well. But for instance, if you're doing dubstep or any sort of hard hitting 128 EDM genre, you might want to go to America or, or Canada which is where a lot of that is booming. So obviously we're talking about, you know, geographics of all, of all this stuff. But when it comes to getting an actual connection to a label, this happened through Razi Hill. He was actually, um, we did a collaboration a couple of years ago, 2015, on Monster Cat. So he had, uh, he had a connection. And ever since me and John Winter from Monster Cat were talking about just various things. And 
now that I was working on this album for over two years on and off, I kind of was just approached by uh, Never Say Die. Ever since 2015 or 16, they hit me up. And this is something my manager also made possible at the time, releasing a couple of EPs, a couple of singles of Never Say Die, which was definitely fitting for me at the time. Doing, you know, heavy, heavier dubstep post wear virtual because I, I definitely wanted to switch into the mindset of doing a couple more singles and EPs rather than a full, you know, full blown album, which is very difficult to push, if, if I'm honest. And now that I've built enough material for We Are Dust and connected them together and made them into a story, I kind of thought to finally pitch that idea to Monster Cat, someone I've been in touch with for a while. And even though I've been until then releasing with Never Say Die, they were also interested. However, they kind of just said that we could totally do it unless you want to maybe split it into two EPs. But I'm like, no, I really definitely wanted to make it into a follow-up, like a spiritual successor to We Are Virtual. And... Monster Cat was definitely the one to pick up where where that left off. So all of a sudden, <laughs> just sending this album to Monster Cat and they love it. And it was that easy, <laughs> in my case, at least. So I don't know what else to say here. So my question at that is that, yeah, that's kind of what I'm assuming is that, you know, like you create the album, you pitch to Monster Cat, and then that's when Monster Cat comes in and kind of overtakes the, the whole marketing and sending it out and getting it out to people, right? They kind of overtake that that's part. That's right. Yeah. And especially since while when you sign with Monster Cat, you also do publishing through them. So any sort of sync deal, any sort of, um, well, basically, for example, a car company makes a commercial and they need to need a song for it. Monster Cat sends you an email about that. If a game such as Rocket League wants your track on, on one of the new season passes or they want to feature your song, you know, indefinitely until now from, well, until forever, Monster Cat will send you the publishing deal through Rocket League, which is exactly what happened with The Darkness, which is one of the tracks from the album. And I could not be more grateful for that because it was a, it was a great exposure for some of the tracks on the album. And this is something I also wanted to mention before, you know, how we were talking about singles versus albums and how singles are usually made for, uh, you know, just make some, some huge track, may push it because it's easy because it's just one song has one specific title. There's nothing difficult about it. So how singles connect to an album is obviously really well to precede the album with multiple singles. That way, certain tracks from the album will actually get noticed, unlike certain tracks from, from the album itself. So if an album, just like it was in We Are Virtual's case, 15 tracks, I think only three of them got any sort of singular exposure because they were released prior. Some of them got a music video, which was posted here and there. And a lot of the remainder of the tracks just vanishes in, in people's memory and in, in Spotify playlists because not many people even know of certain tracks' existence. If you look at the popularity of certain tracks when we are virtual, because it was on the album and not released as a single, Obviously, you have to keep in mind that you are sacrificing certain exposure for, for tracks by keeping them on an album. So yeah, The Darkness and You Rise were the two singles that were released prior to it. And that definitely helped push that kind of exposure. And, you know, for instance, having that Rocket League deal was just the perfect place and perfect time. I'm sure you can tell with like the whole concept of, of building a brand around a story and incorporating that those kind of tactics in order to gain a tribe and to enable to gain a fan base that is really, really going to love you and stay with you for a really long time. I've been thinking a lot about this and the way that you released the album was you released a few singles that could stand on their own, but they ultimately tell a story. But then after you release those few singles on launch day, you release the, all of the album with all the songs all at once, right? Is that, is that the mm -hmm. strategy? 
That's right. So the difficult part about that was making sure that the singles themselves kind of stand out. And the first single that I released was You Rise. And what I wanted to make sure with it is so that it doesn't just sound as if something is preceding it or as if something follows it, because that would just throw you off if you're listening to a track on its own that's released as a single. And the last 10 seconds are some sort of zoop. I needed to make sure that those singles were starting and ending in a way that will seem cohesive and that wouldn't, you know, sort of suggest that there's some sort of thing to expect that's that's that follows it. So because when we released the second single, Darkness with Rocket League, it was still before the time where we were actually announcing the album. So those two singles, the only way you could know that they're actually a part of something bigger is when you look at the artwork, because the artwork for you Rise and The Darkness come from the exactly the same bigger picture, which is they're literally just cropped versions of the We Are Dust's album cover. So by doing that, you kind of force people into thinking, oh, maybe it is a puzzle if we put these... And you, and you see these Reddit threads on Reddit where people talk about, oh, wait, if you put the artworks for these two singles together, they actually match because... <laughs> That's right, because they're part of a bigger, bigger picture. So, but yeah, we also needed to just, just like I said, like audio-wise, we definitely needed to make sure that those songs can stand on their own for sure without the album's full picture. Have you ever thought about doing it in such a way, like releasing the album in such a way that is more along the lines instead of giving everything out at once, releasing it piece by piece at a time, kind of like how you do with singles, but in a story sense. Have you ever thought about doing that before? Yes, this is actually a concept that I picked up from Never Say Die back before Monster Cat approached me for actually releasing this album. And it's how Zomboy did it with his Rotten Roll album. He actually basically just split it into two EPs. This is something that Never Say Die also suggested to me. And um, what it helps you do, you basically have, for example, 10 tracks and you just split it into six and six. And on the first half, you have someone's remix of one of the tracks. On the second half, you have someone's VIP of one of the tracks. So you basically add someone on top of one of these halves. What it helps you also achieve is have two separate points of impact whenever you're actually releasing and you know showcasing this album to someone. So you don't just throw everything at once, but you actually have, for example, 1st of January and then 1st of February to remind people, hey, this album is still actually going. You, know? you have like two separate occasions where you can actually post about it because you split this album into these parts. So, you know, promotion wise, it also helps because people are, are not just, you know, judging how forgetful and how short of an attention span people have these days. When you release an album, it's been actually a month since I released my album. And, you know, it's definitely dialed down out there. Like there's not that much talk about it anymore as it was, you know, the first week after release. So what I could have done, of course, is split this into two halves and, you know, have the second half release like tomorrow and that would obviously help drive you know the all the traffic to the album and everything but it's not how i imagined it and i definitely wanted it to be a spiritual successor to we are virtual and the way it was done is just a one big album one after another four-year time distance between them and yeah it just it happened that i just it didn't really matter for me how good of a promotion it gets the fact that monster cat actually picked it up was a blessing definitely but i literally just wanted it out that I just really wanted people to hear it. And I didn't really care about the promotion aspect of it at all. Totally. And I, and I totally understand. And I get that. I think though, if I, if I may be so bold, I think that in the future, if you did go down that route, I think you're actually going to get more of the result that you want more of the, because how you're saying you want, you want people to hear it. You want people to fall into it and fall into the story and listen to it and, and engage and, and like, you know, put themselves in the story and so on and so forth. 
I think that if you did do it that other route where you released it like piece by piece, it's actually going to do it. I think it's going to do it better for you. And I think it's going to do it more intense for you. And the reason why is because with, you know, like with me doing social media marketing and marketing in general, and you're really into storytelling and, and all this kind of stuff and understanding, you know, the trends of how, how people listen to music now or how they partake of, of content, my purest, honest opinion on it is to do that is to do it piece by piece is to have this huge story this huge consistent story and then release it it's still an album it's still a whole piece of work but it releases piece by piece because for example let's say that you and i started up a firework stand so now here we are with this firework stand right and so the equivalent of what you and i would do if we kind of did with what most people do with when the, when they release their albums is you know let's say that our launch day is on july 4th right and so on july 1st we throw out a single or we just put one firework in the air and everyone's like holy crap it's fireworks oh my gosh and like, okay we got to go over there and get some fireworks and then on day two we do it again holy crap it's fireworks I don't know that. and so on and so forth but then on july 4th we just unleash the artillery we just everything's up in the air we just show everything everyone's there. oh my gosh it's like this huge crazy experience my gosh but then by july 5th 6th and 7th they've kind of forgotten about us at that point because all of our artillery is out in the sky it's gone you know like, what about the people who didn't see it what about the people that were sleeping or on vacation or whatever and so so, but what if, what if we did it a little bit different? What if we started back in June and every single day up to the launch, you know, like 15 days, we, one thing at a time, one thing at a time, just keep reminding people that we're here. You see what I'm saying? And so in my eyes with the album, if you did it like that, so you were saying like on January 1st, you release one and then on February 1st, you would release one, so on and so forth. Number one, according to all of my testing that I've done with social media, with, with posts, with products, with song releases, with everything. The more that you can keep your audience fixed on you, thinking about you, expecting you to do something, the more cult following you will achieve. If you, you know, on January 1st, release something and it's beautiful, everyone's loving it and you make it clear that, you know, in one month, the next part of it's going to come and then the next month and then the next month and then the next month and then the next month. And you are forcing people at that point to keep your eyes on you. Because what if Marvel, the last movie they just did, I think it was like 22 movies that they've done over the last 10 years. What if they released all of them on one day? All of them. You know what I mean? It's almost too much. It's almost too much. Well, it is too much. It's 20. It's like, they're like two, three hours a piece. It's like, yeah, anyways. So it'd just be that. But then also what sucks about that strategy is that when that happens, the big, beautiful things pop out, but then the things that are still essential, but maybe aren't, you know, as flashy as the other one, they, they fall back. But the way they did it, they did it piece by piece. It forces people to just digest every single thing that comes out and to find meaning and find beauty in every single piece. Is, is this making sense? Right. Yeah. So with Marvel, it, you know, even um, when they do make a TV series, it's a series of, you know, 10 to 12 episodes and they still package it under one thing. And of course they wouldn't release like a series alongside another series on the same day. But in my case, it's, it will be basically just coming back to the singles. So in that case, I wouldn't be able to connect any of these songs together because the whole effect of having a listener, you know, lay down for 45 minutes and listen to the entire thing would just be overshadowed by the fact that, yeah, I've heard these songs on their own. So the connections that are between these songs, even though they're, they, they are there, you know, you can only hear the entire thing in its entirety after all these songs are out. So that's what was exactly just, you know, turning, turning me away from doing it that way. Obviously we could split that album into multiple parts, but like then they will also show up in all certain various, various distros like Bport and, and Spotify on their, you know, three separate albums, basically, you know, we are dust part one, part two and three. So I definitely wanted it to have exactly
exactly as I did with, with We Are Virtual, for sure. Yeah, I didn't really focus on the promotional aspect and how how would be the best strategy to promote it. Obviously, Monstercat as a label did an amazing job on that. And, uh, you know, with pre-saves, with, with the hype and the promo and constant reposting and threads on Instagram, sorry, on, on Reddit, you know, um, multiple YouTube uploads and various channels. So, yeah, I... All I wanted to do is just have it out, have it out under one one big emblem. It's just maybe in the future, since the trilogy of the albums is still not complete, this is something I might look into for sure. I totally understand your your pain point with that is because you know when you spend all this time creating something so beautiful, you want people to experience it the way you intended, right? And and if they don't, if they don't do that, then maybe they won't get the full picture of it, right? That's that's the main pain point with this type of strategy, correct? Yeah. Got it, got it. Yeah. So yeah, you basically just sacrifice um, sacrifice the fact of not hearing the album as one coherent piece, you know, but instead you get a lot of exposure over time instead of just one big bang that gets forgotten after a while. You know, that's interesting because you're, you're not the first person to bring that up because I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've talked to Crywolf about this. I've talked to AU5 about this, this exact strategy, and they all bring up exactly what you're saying. Hold up, I'm creating an experience and I want them to enjoy the experience, you know, in the way that it's intended all at once kind of a thing, right? With that, like what percentage of your listeners do you think actually sit down and listen to it all the way through? I'm not saying they don't. I'm just I'm just wondering you you personally how how many people what percentage of your listeners that, actually sit down and listen to everything? That is such a great question because I have no idea how to answer it. Judging by different, you know, statistics from Spotify, there's uh, there's not enough information about that actually. All I can do is guess. There's actually um one of my friends who's a huge fan of mine as well and that's how I actually found out about him because he was a huge fan of my streams as well on Twitch. He came up with this startup project that would allow the artist to actually know which parts of each song were actually listened to and for how long. This is something that I don't think SoundCloud doesn't even have. You, all you can do on SoundCloud is just, you know, hear how many, see how many people actually listen to, you know, a, like for example, the first 30 seconds of the song and that just counts as a play. It's just binary. It, there's either a play or there isn't a play of that particular song. But what he wants to do is basically create something that will allow you to, you know, make sure that you see exactly which parts of what song get listened to for how long. And that way you could also, you could basically just look at it from bigger, you know, bigger distance. So how big of a part of this album was actually listened to? And this is something that I'm just like anticipating for, for him or someone else to release. I hope nobody steals this idea and comes up with, with a startup project before his, but this is definitely something I would love to have. But as of now, if I were to give you a rough percentage of how many of my listeners actually sit down or lie down and just listen to the whole thing, based on how many fans I have on Facebook, or Spotify, I would have to give you like a rough percentage would be probably about 15 to 20. They actually have that kind of time to, you know, to sit down and actually go through a whole 45 minutes. It's um, a lot of my audience for the past couple of years have been just used to listening to singles of mine because of, you know, how I simplified it a little bit when I was on Never Say Die. So to answer your question, based on how I think my audience changed because of the fact that I simplified it into singles and darker dubstep. I have a feeling that people have a very short attention span. And I think a lot of them, even being diehard silent fans, would not 
want to sit throughout the entire thing without skipping through at least half of the tracks. So, um, you know, how sometimes when you get a song and you want to get a feeling of it, how actually it sounds before you listen to the whole thing, you skip to the drop, you skip to the breakdown or the build up or something that is some part of a track that you usually like. And then if you like that drop, oh, now I'll listen to the whole song because what's the point of me, you know, getting, wasting a minute on something that I might not like in the end. So at least that's how a lot of labels work as well. If, if you send them demos, they listen basically to the drop. Okay, the drop is good. Let's go back and listen to the whole thing again. Let's see if it's coherent and makes sense and it's releasable. So I, I think I just answered like three different questions. <laughs> You're totally good. And is that what you just said? That's exactly what I'm looking for. So do you know who Dean Graciosi or Tony Robbins is? No, actually not familiar. So totally, this is totally outside of music, totally outside of music. This is definitely in the realm of like internet marketing. And so that's, I'm, I'm not surprised you don't know that. Many people in the music industry don't know them, but they have this saying, you know, like when they're, when they're trying to pitch their, their course that they're selling or whatever, right? They have this saying, it's like, would you rather do the thing that you love the most in this world or would you rather make a lot of money? And then they follow up with saying, well, why don't you do both? And so the question with this is, you know, with, if we were in this situation, it's like, would you rather have someone sit down and enjoy this entire album all the way through? Or would you rather them experience it in the way that they want to, you know, whether it's piece by piece or whatever? And the answer is, why don't you have both? But what you said with the 15 to 20% of them only partaking of it in its entirety, even if they're intense people, that is telling me exactly what I want to know. It's like, why not have both? You know what I mean? Why not have, if people want to have it piece by piece to keep their attention on you, why not give that to them? And then for the diehards, once every things out, why not let them just partake of it all the way through? My reasoning behind this is this, is that when we create something and we want someone to partake of it in a certain way, not, not just want them, but we expect them to partake of it in a certain way, I think we're missing the mark. I think we're missing the true purpose of what this thing is, right? Because the beauty in what we do is that is the relationship and the experiences that, that the people get individually from the piece of art. And so to say that they have to partake of it in this confined box, I think it's missing the true purpose of it all. You know, like, why not, why not let them partake of it in the way that they want to, you know what I mean? So if people want to partake of it in the full entirety, let them. But if they don't, if they want to go piece by piece, why not let them do that as well? You, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So when it, when it comes to this, you you basically have to look at how distributors work and how everything gets posted and, you know, basically build when, when it comes to, for example, a continuous piece of, you know, music. It's, it's like you have to just kind of anticipate, okay, so if I release this under three separate singles, how is Spotify and Google Play and iTunes or Apple Music at this point, how are they going to actually list it? If people who want to experience these as singles and, you know, have short attention spans and they just want to have these singles once every three weeks and until all the 11 singles come out, how are we going to put them into one album on the distros? This is just basically, you have to look at it from a technical standpoint and whether distributors will be able to just accommodate that kind of long, you know, let's say seven month period of you releasing single after single until all these 11 singles accumulate into one album. Who's going to make sure that that's going to be listenable, you know, under one album? Who's going to, you know, make sure that as a listener, as a diehard fan, you want to listen to this as a whole album, who's going to make sure that it's just going to be, you know, press play and all of these play in that correct order. You know, that's something I always worry about in that matter. I see. I see. So it's not necessarily a preference point. Uh, the argument is, has shifted a little bit. It's not necessarily a preference point. It's more so a technical point. It's, it's a limitation yes, of it's, technology. Yeah. Because I could totally release this album, you know, piece by piece, but then it's, yeah, first of all, it's the technical standpoint because you, you got to make sure that it's visible out there under an album rather than a series of singles. And second of all, yeah, you're right that, you know, you really, as an artist, you want people to experience your work in the best way possible. So, you know, 
if there's a break after a single, if there's, um, you know, you're deciding to split it into multiple parts, it's like they won't be able to just sit down for all these 45 minutes and just listen to the whole thing. So you have to sacrifice something. But to get back to your question on the, you either do something you love on, or you do something for money, you just got to find a golden, golden circle. And a huge part of it is luck, believe it or not. Like there are super talented artists out there. I could name just off the top of my head, like at least 10 of them, but I just, it's crazy how little exposure they get and how if they were in any other established artist position, they would be just making a ton of money because of their talent. And it all just comes down to, you know, having the connections, having the urge, having the lack of laziness to do something as well, because talent obviously doesn't come alone. There's savants out there who make in- incredible pieces of art and music, and but they're just lazy to make more. So nobody's going to want to pick them. Nobody's going to want to manage them. Nobody's going to want to you know have them on their label if they know that they can't trust this artist to keep releasing certain type of music or, or something that would you know make the label money. So it's just so many different factors that I, I think are in play. And as long as they do something that they love. I think that's just the point of it. The question is, what if they do something that they love, but they already have a stable job? Like if you really want to talk money, it's like, I wouldn't focus on doing exactly the thing you love if you don't have a stable job. Because if you're going to spend so much time and effort to make music that won't make you any money, then you might become really poor and just go bankrupt and have huge financial problems. So for all the up and comers out there who who want to just quit everything and start making music. Basically, as long as you have your job that sustains you already, you can definitely go full on, do exactly what you love. Don't look at anyone's comments. Don't read Reddit. Don't look at YouTube comments. Don't, uh, you know, just cut yourself out, do whatever you want and treat music as a hobby. But if you still want to make it out there in music, you definitely need to like to a certain degree, follow some trends Definitely don't be afraid of doing something completely new and out of the ordinary because you might be the next trendsetter. So, you know, we might just end up making a track with like, I don't know, a, a kazoo or a or a whistle in the drop or something. And that might just blow up to the point of you going viral and having genius.com videos being made on you and stuff like that. So you definitely, you shouldn't be afraid of trying new, completely different things. But at first you might not notice that you actually do love what you're doing you will only notice that after a while, after it brings you, you know, so much attention and fame and money. This is um, something I definitely haven't got yet. I'm not like, I'm semi-successful, but I definitely haven't made it yet. But the first time I actually felt something like this was when I experimented with dubstep for the first time. I remember hating dubstep back in 2011 when I was still making a lot of drum and bass. And then someone showed me this track by Black Sun Empire. It was called hyper sun and it's a track that's right now literally 10 years old and yeah 10 years old and that was the first time i actually heard dubstep and it's probably the the darker side of dubstep one of the very first dubstep tracks kind of that made itself into kind of like the neurofunk era but which is the subgenre of drum bass i was really into back in the day and that got me thinking that maybe there is something to it. Maybe there, maybe it's worth to try out a dubstep track since I'm so into drum and bass. And right now you see my drum and bass idols trying out dubstep. So that's when I first experimented. I made it way more melodic. It was called Choose Me. And it got me so much attention that I've never seen before. And, you know, it, the track became super successful. It was like in the top 10 charts on Beatport for like the first couple months uh, in the dubstep genre. And that just changed my mind completely on dubstep. All of a sudden I started loving what I'm doing. And so there's, there's different factors 
on on how you perceive loving what you do. Then you think you love it, but then after that becomes your job, you all of a sudden just start treating it as a job. So you no longer love what you do. You just kind of have to do it to keep having your job. So everything comes in waves, waves rather. And then just it just comes back later again. You discover something new that you never thought you would like making again. I made a track called Free Me, for instance, which was a completely different version of silence you probably didn't even know existed it was a it was like a melodic sort of progressive trance track which got me a whole tour in america and i was like oh my gosh i really like 128 bpm now and all of a sudden you know i started making more 128 and that became my job so i stopped liking it so it's a constant yin yang balance that you need to maintain between liking loving what you do and you know being successful doing it dude this this was a fantastic freaking interview did you have a good time definitely and we've been talking for one hour and 50 minutes and i wonder how long you're gonna how much you're gonna actually just shorten it to because a lot of me was just voice cracking and mumbling so <laughs> <laughs> hey Daw nation i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of behind the Daw with silent and if you found anything in this episode that was super helpful to you go and take a screenshot right now and tag me on an instagram story over at in the daw behind the daw and you can tell me what concepts really really helped you out this week you can also tag xylent at xylent official i'm sure he would love to hear from you as well also i'd highly encourage you to check out some of the other episodes that we have we're doing this monday series where every monday in my free time i read a book that i feel like is going to be really beneficial for music producers and on these monday episodes i bring back all the nuggets of glory that i found a lot of people they've been really really liking those episodes so if you want to check out the last episode so the last episode was released last Monday and it was called, Do You Control Your Life? And so it's a really powerful episode, very, very deep, very, very personal, very vulnerable. And so I'd highly encourage you to go check that out. If you if you wanna check out those type of episodes, also make sure to check out our In The Daw episodes. Like I said uh, at the beginning in the intro, uh, the last episode that we did was with AU5. We broke down an unreleased song. It's a glitch hop song. It's called Swordfish. Uh, so I'd highly encourage you to check that out as well. And finally, if, and if you wanna take your sound design skills to a whole new level, then I would highly encourage you to check out the AU5 AU5 and in the DOS sound design course called the school base. Now it has over 20 hours of content. There's a bunch of effects racks, instrument racks, project files. You get MIDI templates, sound design journal. You get you get into the private Daw Nation Facebook group. You get a personal 20 minute music strategy session with me. There's a whole bunch of amazing stuff. And in fact, we're actually updating it right now with even more content. There's more videos that are coming through and and more bonuses and all kinds of stuff that's going on right now. Um, and so I'd highly encourage you to to hop on that because at the end of November, at the end of November, November 30th, that is going to be the cutoff date. We're actually going to be closing enrollment for an undisclosed amount of time. The reason why is because we have more content that we want to add on the back end. We got to test some stuff. We're going to be moving the website over to a new website. And so with improving everything, especially with all the new content, when we come back and we and we open back enrollment, probably at the beginning of 2020, you know, the price is going to go up because just because there's this sheer amount, this huge sheer amount of content that we're going to be adding inside of there. So if you want to hop on it right now, the price is going to be lower. And when we update everything and move over to the site, you'll still get access to all the new stuff, all the everything. You get lifetime access to everything. Right now, it's currently priced at $247. And then when it comes back, it's going to be more, maybe $297, maybe $347. Maybe We're not completely sure yet. So I'd highly encourage you to hop on that. And by the way, if you want to test drive it, you know, you're not quite sure if it's right for you. That's totally fine. You can actually go test drive the school base right now. If you head on over to courses.inthedaw.net, 
You can test the free version. It's a mini version where there's only about five videos from the full course in there, so you can kind of get your feet wet, see if the information that is provided there is actually for you. But donation with all that out of the way, if you really did like this episode, still, I'd love to hear from you, either in the comments and an Instagram story, through a review on iTunes, through a DM, through anything like that. I'd love to hear how this episode helped you out. And I, and I promise that if it's a sincere message, just a sincere comments, anything like that, I'm going to reply to you. All right. So go ahead and make sure to do that. And I'd also highly encourage you that a couple days from when this episode is coming out. So on Monday, uh, November 4th, we're going to be releasing another behind the dot episode where we have, you know, that it's, it's going to be a Monday episode. We're going to be starting a new book and it's going to be really, really powerful. The techniques that are in there is actually incredible. It's, it's we're actually going to be going over a book that I have read seven times, seven times. All right. It's really, really powerful. And then next Saturday, so a week from right now, a week from exactly right now, we're going to be releasing a new episode of In the Daw with Unlike Pluto. He's going to be breaking down his hit song, Everything Black, which has like a ridiculous... Do you know how many streams it has been? Uh, I've never heard it. Oh, that's okay. Well, that's good. You're going to be a better show up for the episode, all right? I think it has like 10 million streams or something, 20 million streams. I don't know. It's like really, like really, really blew up. Daw Nation, you are awesome. Thank you so much for showing up for this episode. Remember... You have to spend time behind the DAW so that you can absolutely crush it when you go in the DAW.